more or less. So our last morning for a while. And what comes to mind this morning is a very, very simple theme. And it's here in the Mahamudra tradition and the Dzogchen tradition equally. And that is that as we seek to realize pristine awareness, our Buddha nature, Dharmakaya itself, that it is none other than this ordinary consciousness of the present moment. So that seems very strange. Because Dhammakaya, we hear all the qualities of Dhammakaya, just you know, inconceivable, divine, transcendent, and then ordinary consciousness. <laughs> Boring. Just ordinary. That's why it's called ordinary. Tamepa means exactly ordinary. So how could something that is so transcendent, so inconceivable, so truly divine, be so ordinary? Well, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same being a sentient being and a Buddha. It's not like there's no difference. So we're not being silly here. But we're saying it's not something other. So that's the avenue. That's what it's saying. That's the avenue. That's where the X marks the spot. The X isn't marked when we're off in rumination, hoping this, fearing that, grasping to this, having aversion to this, hostility to that, craving to this, and so forth. That's not where the X mask is spot. Right? That'll probably just keep on spinning, spinning indefinitely. Right? But that simple awareness, that ordinary awareness of the present moment, if you rest there, and all the words kind of like are confounded. To say to you're doing your very best is already stri- implying striving, uh, which then is not it. But I'll say the words anyway. Uh, you do your very best to release all grasping, all hope, all fear, all revocation, all objectification. And that's where, that's where pristine awareness is to be found, right there, hidden in plain sight. So, you're familiar with that. That was not new news. That was old news, which means it was an oxymoron, I guess. But in a day or two, then many of us will be returning to what many people would call ordinary life. Right? In contrast to the yogis like Mitarepa, living in utter solitude and encountering demons and having pure visions and visiting Sukhavati and, and so forth, Unlike them, we'll just be going back and business as usual. The retreat's over. (laughs) This unusual period of having somebody turn on a fire hydrant in your face for eight weeks (laughs) is going to be over. Right? Almost over. So back to the ordinary. Back to the ordinary. So how ordinary is it going to be? And it all comes down to motivation. Yeah. Motivation in view. That pretty well wraps it up. Motivation in view. So as we come to the last day, a central theme for the whole day, the set is this morning and this afternoon, is going to be dedication. Dedication of merit. There's an extensive discussion of this 
uh, in the chapter right after the chapter of Atiyogi. You might want to read that at your leisure. It's very clearly, forcefully stated how important it is. But again, at the same time, I want to suggest strongly, with strong conviction, that dedication is not just something that Buddhists do or religious people do. It's something we're always doing all the time, without ever knowing the word dedication. Dedication. Without even having any merit to dedicate. We're still dedicating our activities to something. And it really boils down to, what do you really want? What are you after? What are you looking forward to? But fundamentally, oh, what do you want? So in many empowerments, not all, but in many in empowerments of uh, Vajrayana, right towards the beginning, before the empowerment is bestowed, the disciple shows up at the east gate of the palace, and the deity is in the center, of course. And he sees the di- disciple, show, he or she, of course, Vajrayana could be anyone, uh, sees the disciple show up. And the question is, I can't remember the Tibetan, but I know the English. <laughs> well, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Somebody just come knocking on your door, <laughs> open up, what do you want? <laughs> well, that's the real question. That's, that is the question. When you came here at the beginning, not quite knowing what you're going to get into. Not going to know how crazy I'm going to be this time. For those of you who knew before, am I going to be as crazy and wild-mouthed as before? Or am I going to be a bit calmer? You never can tell. Now you know what this is like. Don't count on it. It'll be the same next time. <laughs> Maybe next time I'll just be <laughs> coming in the great big chicken thigh. <laughs> and, and teaching while I'm <laughs> better turkey thigh. I want a turkey thigh. <laughs> teach you while I'm chomping at him. Could be. Never can tell. Anything to kind of catch your attention. But what do you want? You know. Well, in so many Buddhist treatises, it's when they speak of giving up attachment to this life. They give giving up attachment to this life. They say, well. That pretty much boils down to taking care of yourself, your friends and loved ones, friends and family, and defeating your enemies. That's kind of the name of the game. That's what the world, human species, chimpanzees, dolphins, ants, bees, cockroaches have been doing since time immemorial. We take care of our own, we take care of ourselves and our own, those we identify with, that we regard as mine, my country, my, 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 we know that very well. And then we defeat anything that might be threatened. Those who are not mine, keep them at bay. Keep them at bay. Keep over there. You're not on my side. So that's what we do. So in terms of dedication, dedication, it really boils down to what you really want. What is it you're after? And whatever that is, that's what you're dedicating your, your, your skills to. People go, go off to college. I just got an email from one of my students. He just finished a master's program. So now it's finished. But why go into it? I'm, I'm not questioning. I'm, I'm not, there's no critique, critique at all. He went into a master's program. It was a meaningful program. But why did you go into it? Or the various types of education I've sought out over the years. Why? Why, why did you do that? You just want Stanford after your name? Was that, was that the big deal? Or what? What was it? Uh, people will 
form relationships, romantic relationships, friendships, relationship with a guru and so forth. What do you want? What do you want? And so this is how this is how samsara continues to spin. This is the fuel of samsara. What do you still want? What is it you still want? Right? And then that's the leto. So even if you've never practiced Dharma, never even had a notion of practice, no interest in practice Dharma, there's still stuff you want, right? And your life spins out, the gas runs out, the petrol of your gas, of your, of your life runs out, the karma is exhausted, and you die, and then you have the momentum. And that's what you wanted and you didn't get, or you didn't get as much as you wanted. And that throws you on, throws you on, throws you on, right? So that's how samsara is perpetuated, but that's also how one fuels one's progress along the path to perfect enlightenment by having that aspiration, that unfulfilled aspiration to achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. That unfulfilled aspiration to remain active for as long as space remains, for as long as sentient beings remains, to alleviate the suffering of the world. That's an aspiration. That'll keep you, that'll keep you in. That'll keep you in the game. That one. The Arhat learns how, through training, just how to relinquish all. No mundane aspirations. And no carryover. Finished. Game over. I'm out. I'm walking away from the table. Right? And think they can do that. And they can for a while, in the Mayana view. Yeah, you can, for a while. Until you see, you haven't really realized who you are yet. And how can you walk away from the table? How can you walk away from phenomenal world if you still haven't figured out who you are? That seems like an unfinished game, doesn't it? If our nature is actually Buddha nature, if this is who we actually are, then how can you quit how can you walk away from the table? The game's not over. So even if you walk away for a while, somebody's going to say, you know, the game's still on. You haven't finished yet. Right? And so, to try to wrap this up into one. We're returning to the ordinary. We'll be going to airports, checking into airplane. We'll be checking out, picking up luggage, Everybody does that. Everybody who travels, that is about as ordinary as it gets. Waiting in line at customs, picking up luggage, finding your luggage has been lost. <laughs> you know, that's what happens. And then it's home, or wherever you're going, and it's ordinary, ordinary, and then you may be thinking, oh, I wish I was in retreat. Or maybe you think, oh, thank goodness that's over. <laughs> Either way. Either way, it's back to something ordinary. <laughs> On the outside, as Dupanaramachi said, from the outside, I probably look human to you. He looks pretty ordinary. I've seen a lot of old men who look rather like him. Bad haircut. <laughs> you know, a little bit chubby, wrinkly gray hair. They're all over the place, right? Lots and lots. Ordinary, and yet, well, no, because of motivation and view. And that's what he had that was different. Can't see it from the outside, but there it is. 
And so, yes, he is a highly accomplished being. But then how do you become a highly accomplished being? By practicing every day and turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. That's it right there. You turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. And not by waiting for something to happen, but by bringing your view, everything you've understood, and your motivation to bear every single moment. And then sitting down for a cup of coffee at an airport restaurant is full-on dharma. Right? Don't need to be in a special posture. You don't need the seven points of Adorachana So, final point. Our desires. Just to highlight the point, because we, we don't make choices unless we know we have choices to make. You have to know there's a possibility of a choice before you would actually explicitly and consciously make a choice. Obvious, yeah? So I, I, I'm not going to, I don't think I can choose to be shorter by a foot. And, and sure so, yeah, there's still hope. <laughs> but by a, by a foot in this lifetime, not going to happen. So I'm not going to choose, I'm not going to make any, I have no choice. So I'm, I can't be a foot taller, I can't be a foot taller or shorter, not going to happen. So I, the notion of, shall I try to be a foot ha- uh, taller or shorter, doesn't come up. Because it's not a choice, right? But we can choose which desires to follow. That's the meta-conation. The desire of desires. The desire to desire. So His Holiness was asked, oh, years ago, uh, I think he was asked, do you have bodhicitta? He said, no, no, no. <laughs> but I have a great aspiration to cultivate bodhicitta. <laughs> oh, that's good. So what do you want? What do you want? What would you love to see come out of this? Because we have many desires. This is why we have karma in the Buddhist worldview. We have karma for all the realms. Hell realms, preta, animal, human, asura, deva. Form and formless realms. We have karma for all of them. Because we have so many desires. We have such a broad bandwidth of desires that we've experienced in this lifetime, let alone past lifetimes. And we have engaged in actions that can actually be the fuel for fulfilling those desires or leading to the results, you know maturation of those desires, for better and worse, but always perpetuation, perpetuation of more of the same, more samsara. But among our many desires, and we will have many desires leaving here, I do. I would like for my flight from uh, Sunshine Coast to Sydney to be on time. I'd like to be able to catch my flight from Sydney to Singapore. I'd like that. It's a desire. I hope it's not late. I don't give it much thought, but yeah, that's my desire. I would like not to miss my plane from Sydney, Singapore. Somebody's going to be picking me up at the airport. So that's one of my desires. I have a lot of others, but that's some. Yeah. But now, what are the desires that are most important? And everything is about that, prioritization of desires. Yeah. And so among the many desires, which are the ones you select out? And say, this one, this one's a keeper. This one I really prioritize. This one's important to me. Not only today, like my flight from Sydney to Singapore, I'm not going to care, care one way or another about it. That's not going to count at all a week from now. Whatever it was, it's finished. The flight was on time, not on time, whatever it was. I won't care anymore. Even if I miss the flight, I won't care anymore. I would have dealt with it one way or another. 
I won't care. So that's whoop, gone. It's a snowflake. But which are the keepers? Which are the aspirations you want to live by? You want to hold close. You would like to define the very trajectory of this and future lifetimes. Which are the central desires? What are your deepest hopes? Your most meaningful aspirations? And are there ones so deep, so intuitively authentic, that you feel, even with kind of it seems like a bit grandiose, but this desire, this is a keeper until I'm perfectly enlightened. However many lifetimes, this is it. That's pretty big. That's kind of grandiose. This is my desire from now until enlightenment. Do you have any desires that deep, that deep, that you can say, not only for the whole course of this life, but in all possible, I mean, that's very grandiose, to make aspirations, let alone pledges, from here this point of being a sentient being all the way up to Buddhahood, and saying, here it is. This is this is the real one. This is authentic. This is absolutely authentic. On this one, there's no going back. No notion of going back. No going back. This is it. I'm in. I'm in forever. That's pretty intense, eh? You think I'm intense? For as long as space remains, for as long as sentient beings remains, so long shall I remain to alleviate the suffering of the world? What's more intense than that? It makes me look like a pipsqueak. Nothing. Right. So in this morning's motivation, uh, meditation, let's all focus on dedication. What do you really want? What is your aspiration? Let's practice together. Namo lama deshe dupe ku kunjo sumge ranjin la ratan dodu senjenam janju badu kapsu Namo. In the Lama, who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the three jewels, I, together with the beings of the six realms, take refuge until our enlightenment. Semgyen doa kundun lama sangye dupne Kang la kang du din le For the sake of all beings, I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha. By means of enlightened activity, I shall train each being according to their needs, and I vow to liberate the world. Om 
목에 육힐육참삼배마개사 롬보라 양센 조기 무둡예 배마주네 시수다 고두 간도 만불고 개기 제수 다둡기 징계 납치 색수수 Guru Pema Siri Om. Hum. In the northwest frontier of Odiana, in the heart of a lotus, sits the one renowned as Padmasambhava, who achieved the wondrous supreme city and is surrounded by a host of many daikinis. Following in your footsteps, I devote myself to practice. Please come forth and bestow your blessings. Guru Pemasiti Hum. Guru Pemasiti Hum. If you'd like to switch positions, please do so now. Settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural states by dissolving them into emptiness. And from emptiness arise with pure vision of your ordinary form, but without grasping, without reification, a pure vision, pure
pure appearances, empty appearances. Your speech, indivisible from the speech of all the Buddhas, your mind, indivisible from all the Buddhas. No sentient being's mind anywhere in sight. Deconstructed, it's no longer there. And rest for a little while. Rest in your ordinary consciousness of the present moment. Which is both mundane and sublime, all depending on perspective. When we speak of the non-duality, of the relative and the ultimate, it is not that the ultimate crushes and annihilates the relative. They are both truths, they are both reality, and they are indivisible. So drawing from your innermost wisdom now, from your intuitive wisdom, arouse your imagination, arouse the luminosity of your awareness to imagine and to seek and discover what is your heart's desire. What is your innermost desire? What is your vision now? At the end of this retreat, what is your vision now? Of your own fulfillment. What comes to mind? The realization of your highest longing, your eternal yearning.
hold that vision. And with every out-breath, breathe life into that vision. Fill it with light, the light from the orb at your heart. With every out-breath, arouse the aspiration. May it be so. May I experience such joy, such fulfillment, the realization of my innermost desires. May it be so. Wish yourself well and dedicate the merits of this retreat to the realization of your most meaningful aspiration. And breath by breath, imagine realizing such well-being, such fulfillment, such perfect awakening here and now. It's quite clear it's going to be impossible to realize this, to fulfill this aspiration entirely on our own, any of us. We need help from our fellow sentient beings, our brothers and sisters, from the enlightened ones, the teachers, the lamas, the spiritual friends. So in order to realize such well-being, what would you love to receive from the world around you, from those near and far, in the short term and the long term?
And with each in-breath, arouse the aspiration that from moment to moment, day to day, year to year, and lifetime to lifetime, you may indeed receive all that you truly need. Not necessarily all you want, because sometimes the desires are not so wise, but that you may receive all that you truly need, every moment. The reality rises up to meet you, to support you in the realization of your most authentic aspirations. With each in-breath, arouse the aspiration, this aspiration of loving-kindness. And imagine the light of kindness and of blessings flowing in upon you from all sides, providing you with all that you need. If we could be infinitely wise in our desires, we would find that reality infinitely rises to meet them. From breath to breath, imagine reality rising up to meet you, as it already is, before you imagined anything. The realization of this aspiration can clearly come about only by means of very deep and irreversible inner transformation. 
the dispelling of all obscurations of the mind, cultivation of virtue. In a spirit again of loving kindness, imagine how would you love to transform from what hindrances, from what habits, from what obscurations and afflictions would you love to be free? And with what virtues of all kinds would you love to be richly imbued? Envision your path from here to there, from this relative state of being unawakened to a relative state of being manifestly awakened. Breath by breath, breathe life into this aspiration. Imagine here and now, as light flows from your heart and saturates your entire being. Imagine this transformation taking place here and now. The whole path in a matter of moments.
And finally, in order to make your existence, not only this life, but your entire future, as meaningful as possible. What would you love to offer to the world, to those who are near and far, in the short term and the long term? Breath by breath, dedicate the merit of this retreat once again to the realization, the actualization of your most meaningful aspirations for yourself and for the world around you. Breathe out the light and imagine the light taking on the forms of what you would most love to offer.
release all aspirations, all doing. Rest in simplicity, in this ordinary consciousness of the present moment. It said for the first 12 years after the Buddha's enlightenment, while he was teaching, I'm sure, a very rapidly growing number of individuals who must have had very strong karmic connection with him, uh, many people uh, taking ordination, many people are gaining you know, profound realization. It said for those first 12 years, uh, there were no monastic precepts. The Buddha didn't have any monastic precepts, not one. People would just follow. And they were so authentic in following the Buddha. They just knew, knew intuitively. There's just some things you just don't do. Because that would be going in the opposite direction. And here's the direction. So don't do anything that would contradict that. So for 12 years, no precepts. Right? Cool. And then 12 years went by, one precept was needed. And by the time the Buddha passed into Paranamana, 253. For the fully ordained monks, the nuns had more. Oh. If he lived longer, he probably there would be more precept. <laughs> because we find so many ways to screw up. <laughs> oh, I can invite, you know the Buddha just. Oh my God! I never thought they'd do that. <laughs> okay, another one here. Don't do this either. <laughs> All right, now we're at the end of the retreat. There are no, there are no precepts. Silence, no silence. Be courteous, don't be courteous. Be dis disrespectful, don't be respectful. Nothing. No, just be happy. You don't need any precepts from me. Okay? Enjoy your day. That's it. That's your one injunction. Enjoy your day. See you later.